So we'll be in Luke 1, but we will be all over the place. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that uh, we have been a little bit, little bit of everywhere as we have uh, gone through our series here, Come Lord Jesus, kind of tying the, the first and the second advent, the first coming and the second coming of, uh, of Jesus together. And we're going to try our best to do that again uh, this morning, but we will, we will tie a lot from, from beginning to end here all over uh, uh, scripture. And I, I'll just tell you, head, just a heads up, I, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning, more than what I typically uh, do, um, just because I think sometimes, well, most of the time, if we can just let scripture inform us and let us hear the words of scripture, uh, that that will form us. Uh, and that is the goal this morning. And, and I just want us to be able to uh, to do that. So, We'll be in Luke chapter one, and then we'll be in Revelation. We'll be in uh, we'll be in the Psalms. We'll, we'll we'll end up in Zephaniah of all places. So if you want to start looking for that now, so that you can find it towards the end, maybe you will be able to find that. But uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the uh, the Christmas season here. There's a lot of parts, uh, a lot of things about Christmas to love. I'm not sure what your favorite part of this season is, your favorite part of December is. Uh, for some, it's the, the change in weather. They like going into the cold weather. They like feeling the, uh, the cold on their skin. They like the, the frost on the, 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 the ground. Uh, and that's what you love about this season. For others, it's the, uh, it's the, the, the Christmas movies, the, the Home Alone or Elf or It's a Wonderful Life or somehow the Sound of Music makes it into the, the Christmas uh, movies, which it's not, but it it makes it in there. So, uh, w- w- so whatever that is, you know, maybe it's the movies that, that you love. For some of you, it's the decorations. You love putting up trees and trees and more trees and then wreaths and ornaments and, and all that kind of stuff. We love that in our house. Uh, we have two very full trees full of ornaments and definitely would have more if our house could support it, but it can't. So we are, we are mercifully limited to two trees. Um, so for some of you, it's the, the decoration, the lights. Our family went out uh, on Friday night. We drove to, uh, to Knoxville, hopped on one of the, the blogs that gave you a map of, of all the great Christmas lights in Knoxville. We drove around Knoxville, looked at these different Christmas lights, drank some Starbucks, and, uh, and kind of did that. It's kind of a family tradition for us. We love being able to do that, so that's a big part of our uh, Christmas whenever we do that. For others, uh, it's the food, it's the feasting, it's the, uh, the cookies and the, the sweets, it's the, uh, the big meals and, 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 and being around uh, the, the table with everyone to eat those. It's all the finger foods. It's the Christmas tree cakes. Like it is that, that is what you love so much about uh, Christmas. And then maybe for some of you, it's just the nostalgia, the sentimentality of the season, the traditions. Um, maybe even a tie-in with someone who is no longer with us or that you can take some time to kind of remember them and remember that. Uh, Finally, there are all kinds of reasons to love Christmas, to love uh, this season that we're in, but there may be nothing more central to this Advent Christmas season than one thing in particular, and that's the music. The music seems to be what defines this season above all else, whether it is classical music like Handel's Messiah, uh, or it is the school plays and the concerts that so many of you have been to over the course of the last week or two, or whether it's Mariah Carey and Wham, like there's something about the Christmas music, that the the, the music during this season, uh, whether you love to hate it or you just love it, uh, it is central to this time of year. Do you know what is the greatest 
uh, is, is considered the, the, the single greatest uh, selling single of all time. Does anybody know what that is? What? I heard it. White Christmas. All right. White Christmas. Not like something by Michael Jackson, not something by Elvis, but White Christmas is the single highest or single, um, the number one selling single of all time. It is a Christmas song that just emphasizes the importance of music during this, uh, this time of year. Uh, it, is, uh, it is all over the place. I, w- this is you know, highly debated. We talk about it all the time. I start my Christmas music on November 1st because there is way too much good music to get in uh, to 25 days, and so we need more time to get all of that in. Uh, I love being able to sing these songs together. I'm so looking forward to next Sunday to being able to, to be in here with you guys to light our candles and to uh, sing these songs that we know and that we love uh, so much to sing that uh, as a part of it. Music is an inseparable part of our experience during this time uh, of year. And that has been true since the, 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 the earliest Christmas story. In Luke, we have the earliest of Christmas carols given to us from this young mother-to-be. We're going to look just briefly here at Mary, and I think I cover this passage almost every year during this season because it means a ton uh, to me as I I walk through it, and I'll talk about that here in, in, in just a minute. But Mary is going to be processing uh, a moment that God has called her to. And so what I want to do is I want to see her uh, in this moment. I want to see the moment that God calls her to, her reaction, and then I want to hear her song. So look with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph, to, to the house of David. The virgin's, name was, uh, the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who, called, who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. So this passage stirs my heart uh, and my mind every year. It never feels like I can fully wrap my head uh, around this passage, no matter how hard I try. Like there's certain parts of scripture you can read and you say, all right, let me try to put myself in that situation. How would I have responded? There is nothing that you can do that can make you put yourself in this situation where you can think, how would I have responded? Like it is so, it's such an outlandish, such a, an inconceivable idea that this would happen the way that this happens. Like you don't have the ability to say, how would, at least, at least me, I don't have the ability to know how I would have uh, responded to this. I cannot wrap my head around uh, this this moment. And so I don't really know, but I can tell you this, I don't think I would have responded the way that Mary did. 
I don't think I would have done what she did here. She's given this unimaginable news, and her first instinct is not to freak out. It is not to fall apart. It is not to tremble under the weight of the weightiest thing that any of us can even consider. That she would give birth to the Son of God. That she's visited by an angel and says, this is what is about to happen. You, like, they're, they're, it's so outside of our categories. We don't have a way to really like, like, like put this into perspective, the weight that has been thrust upon her in this moment. I mean, have you really thought about like, her response there in, in, in light of what has just been kind of asked of her? I guess she could have rejected the task. She could have said, nah, not me, you got the wrong gal, not going to happen. Uh, I guess she could have done that, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound like the angel was really offering her a choice so much as the angel was saying, this is about to happen, uh, and you need to, to know this. But So have, have you thought about this? So many of us are wired to think of ourselves First, I know, I know I would be. The first question that I would be asking of the angel are going to be things like, can I handle this? Can I process this at, at all? Is this fair to me that this is about to happen? What about me? Like You, you, you told me all kinds of stuff, uh, Gabriel. You gave me all kinds of news here. You, you relate all kinds of information, but nowhere in any of this have you, have you even asked, how you doing, Mary? You going to be okay? Like That never comes across. And so, it, 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 my temptation would probably be to say, well, well, what about me? How am I going to make it? How am I going to handle this? What will people think? What about my future? I had plans. I was about to be married. What about my, my college plans? What about my marriage plans? What about my, my whatever? Any, any of those thoughts would have been perfectly normal. And I think probably what most of us would have immediately ran to but not Mary. These were not Mary's first reactions. She says in verse 30, verse 38, she says, basically she says, I'm in. God, if you're in it, I'm for it. Let's go. That's, that's essentially her response to this, this thing happening to her that is so just out, outside of our understanding. Her response is not, what about me? I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can bear this burden. Her response is, God, if you're in it, I'm for it, let's, let's go. That strikes me every year. It challenges me every year. A weight that, that almost all of us would probably refuse to bear, Mary doesn't blink, and instead she sings a song. Now, this is a couple of months down the road, which I think is even more uh, impressive, and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. She sings a song. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 46. She's going to visit her, uh, her cousin Elizabeth, who, who the angel referenced there. And this is the song that she sings. Luke 1, 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. 
So she sings that song, this Mary's Magnificent. And the song she sings is not a song of fear or self-pity or worry or being overwhelmed or being sad for what she's lost. All of those things would have been the most natural things in the world for her to focus on, for this to be a lament instead of a song of joy. But that is not what comes from Mary. There is absolutely no woe is me. Instead, she calls herself blessed. Her trust in God in that moment is remarkable. It is a challenge to each one of us when the days are hard. I think this is something we don't understand is how hard these days would have been for Mary. How difficult it would have been for her to go through the process that she is going through. Telling different people, hiding different things, going away from her home, having to go through the process of, 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 of being pregnant, bearing a son. It would have been incredibly difficult days and all she can say is, I'm blessed because God is in this. It is a reminder and a challenge to each one of us. That when the night is is long, when the future is cloudy, when the path is full of challenges, Mary's prayer and Mary's song is, 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 is often what brings me not just at Christmas, but, but all throughout the year, it, it, it brings me to, to this place of trying to reconcile my own selfish tendencies. To try to get to the place where she is, where there is plenty of things to be afraid of in her future, but she has no fear of tomorrow, no worry of even today. Simply trust that God has called her to it, and that means that God will see her through it. I don't want to get too detailed in this song in this morning. We've done that before. We've gone through all the details. But it's important to kind of note the general tone and the, the substance here of Mary's song. She is celebrating, but she is not celebrating a, a moment. But she is celebrating the culmination of a history of God's people waiting for this moment. That is a big difference. She's not simply saying, this is great, I'm going to have a son. She's saying, this is great, Israel is going to have a son. Because Israel has been waiting on this son. Israel is going to have the Messiah that they have been looking forward to. She immediately draws herself out of her selfish look and her selfish, or like, it, like she doesn't have it, but she, she doesn't look to herself, but she looks up to the nation around her. And she says, this moment that is so heavy for me is going to be such a blessing for you, for all of Abraham's descendants. We have prayed for this moment. We have longed for this moment. We have looked for this moment. And now I get to be a part of this moment. No longer do God's people need to wait because God has made good on his promise. He has remembered Israel in his mercy and now he is ready to deliver on what he has always promised. And even as we we read this, we know that this has to go somewhere beyond just her her moment of labor and birth and and, and Jesus ending up in in a manger. She talks about toppling the mighty, the proud, the rulers, and the, and the, the, the thrones. But then she talks about the hungry being satisfied, and she talks about uh, the, the, uh, the rich being toppled. But we know that today the hungry, are still, the hungry still go hungry, and the rich still live in their mansions. 
And so even in this psalm, just as we've talked about the last few weeks, uh, as it is with the Old Testament prophets, the coming of the Lord, his, uh, his, his coming, as, as she sings about there, even there she has this kind of like dual, dual view in, 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 in mind. Where she is, she, is, she is seeing and recognizing what it means for this Savior to come, for this Messiah to come. But we can look at it and we can say, yes, Mary, what you said is right. This all does happen, but it doesn't happen just yet. In Jesus' life, all of these things will begin to happen, but they will not fully come to fruition until he returns again. And so what we see in this picture of Mary singing is a a look back on the promises that God has made all the way back to Genesis 12. And then we look forward to the promise that he will come and finish the work that she sings about here. The toppling of the mighty, the proud, and the rulers. All of those things. She sings about a dual advent of this Jesus. His first coming at Christmas and his second coming that we now wait on today. Jesus sets into motion all of these things. But they have not fully been realized yet. Not until there is a new kingdom, or until his kingdom is here, in a new heaven, and a new earth. Mary marks all of that with a song. Just like we sing our carols today, the songs play an important role uh, in, in that first Christmas. They play an important role all throughout Scripture. In that first Christmas, we have a plethora of songs just just packed into a couple of chapters. You have Elizabeth who sings her song in Luke 1.42. You have Zechariah's Benedictus in Luke 1.67. You have Simeon's uh, song in Luke 2.29. And then you have Mary's song here. Why is there such a concentration of songs right here in Luke's gospel? Is it just that Luke likes Christmas carols too? So he tells us, hey, these are great carols. You should know these and you should, uh, you should sing these. Is it just that Luke is going and doing his work as a good interviewer and he's, he's talked to, to folks and, and they've said, well, this is what we sang and this is what we did and here's how it went. Or is it that Luke has a larger purpose? In putting these songs in here, he is referring back to what is the, 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 the way the Old Testament often does things. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, it is songs that serve as the significant markers for God's people. Obviously, you have the, the psalm book, you have 150 psalms. But outside of that, you have other songs that are, that are highlighted as important moments for God's people in their history. In Exodus 15, you have the the songs of Moses and Miriam after they have crossed uh, the Red Sea. They've defeated Pharaoh's army. In the book of Judges, if you'll remember, whenever we went through uh, that book a couple of years ago, you have the song of Deborah and Barak, this duet after uh, after a a, a major victory that that they led God's people to. And we could go on and on, that the, the songs fill the mouths of God's people throughout the pages of Scripture. But notice the songs don't just serve to pass the time, right? That's how songs serve for us a lot, right? You, you turn on the music, you listen to the music, and, and it just kind of helps you pass the time. Like you, you listen to music so that when you're on a long drive, it doesn't seem as long. The, the music just kind of passes the time. But in Scripture, songs don't pass the time. Songs mark the time. 
They establish a moment as something to be celebrated and something to be remembered. And while these songs in Luke 2 mark the first coming of Jesus, there is another song that is yet to be sung in its entirety. We get the words, we kind of get the pre-release uh, uh, preview of this song. And so I want you to, uh, to, to, to see this. Um, this is Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read a big chunk of this here. We're going to see another moment where God's people celebrate and mark the time. Just like happened in Exodus 15, just like happened in the book of Judges, just like happened in Luke 1 and Luke 2. We see it if we fast forward to the end in Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read this whole chapter. Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with, writ- with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to even look, look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and a golden bowl filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, and, in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And so we have the songs from the past. We have the songs from, from the, the pivotal moment of history when Christ was born. And we have the song of victory that is to come. Waiting for the moment. For when this world finds its end, God establishes His throne forever, just like Mary sang about how He would. You see, Christmas and Easter are not two different stories, but one story inseparably linked to the other. The cradle leads to the cross. The child born in a manger becomes the lamb that was slaughtered. And this is the good news for us this morning. We too sing our songs here at Christmas to mark the victory of Jesus. 
the victory that was to come whenever he defeated death, when he, was, when, he was, when he was killed, when he was buried, and when he rose again, and the victory that will come whenever he defeats Satan and whenever he establishes his throne forever. We too sing our songs here at Christmas, just as we talked about last week, because our Christmas carols are a down payment on what will happen. And we do this with an unmistakable joy because of the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. That is what marks us. Even in the midst of a season like Advent that is full of repentance, that is full of waiting, that is full of, of, of this kind of like expectant but also sorrowful waiting, even in the midst of that, we have the pink candle here that represents joy in the midst of that sorrow and in the midst of that repentance. And why do we have joy in the midst of repentance? Because Jesus has done work for us. This is what we sing about when we sing about the incarnation. The fulfillment of a promise from Moses to Revelation. They all celebrate the victory of God and God's people. But they all also represent a moment where God's, uh, where God's waiting people, remember we talked about this uh, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, that we are a waiting people. And so these songs mark a victory for God's people, but they also mark a moment where God's people were waiting. And their, their waiting was met by a God who came through for them. Where their waiting was found to be a faith that was made sight. Where waiting ended. From, from Moses... And Miriam leading a bunch of slaves out of Egypt. And they had cried out, how long, O Lord, for over 400 years. They waited for hundreds of years to be led out from under Pharaoh's rule. And then as they escaped, they found themselves pushed up against the Red Sea with nowhere to go. And they waited. They waited for God to show up. They waited for God to get there. They waited for the arrival of the hope that they had in this God. They waited as slaves. They waited up against the Red Sea. And what happened? God showed up. God arrived. Fast forward to New Testament and Mary's song. She wasn't waiting for an angel. She wasn't waiting for this moment. But she was waiting for her Messiah to show up and for God to remember his people. A people that felt forgotten. They had felt forgotten under Pharaoh's rule, but now they felt forgotten under Rome's rule. And then we hear in her song, she says, my waiting is no more. God, you showed up. And then we see in Revelation a multitude uh, singing songs that celebrate the victory of awaiting people, namely us. We are the waiting people that will find our song in Revelation 5 someday. When God will consummate his kingdom, the one that he began to establish on that Christmas day when he sent his son. So the song marks the time. It reminds us that God's people have always waited. And God has always come through. It's for that reason that we celebrate on this Sunday of Advent joy amidst our waiting. Today, we rejoice. Listen to how the psalmist says this in Psalm 
Psalm 98. You can turn with me to Psalm 98. I'm going to read the entirety of this psalm as well. I want you to listen to how the, the psalmist declares us to rejoice here. Psalm 98. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the melodious song. With trumpets and, with, and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly in the presence of the, of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains shout together for joy. Before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth, and he will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Rejoice, joy, for he will come. That is the story that we celebrate, and that is how we mark the time by singing these songs and remembering that God has shown up for his people who waited for him. And as much as I would love to end our sermon there this morning, there's one more passage that I want us to read. And it is for the person this morning uh, who, who maybe you feel it right now or you felt it at some point during this year, or maybe you'll feel it coming up during this year and you'll, 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 you'll remember this as we go through this. But this is for the person who doesn't feel like they have much to rejoice over this morning. That this talk of, like, of, of, of happy holidays, of Merry Christmas, of, 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 of being uh, jolly and all of these things doesn't make any sense to them. And this whole sermon sounds great and Mary's joy is wonderful and the, the ability to rejoice in our salvation is great. All of those things are wonderful, but they don't feel that right now. The one that can't quite get to the other side of the darkness. That Advent is built for us to be able to acknowledge. But I'm going to warn you, this is not a sorrowful passage. For, uh, per, perhaps the most beautiful of them all. Now, this is in Zephaniah. I told you we were going to go there. This is in Zephaniah chapter 3. And this is our song. This is our, our uh, prophecy of Jesus to come on this Sunday of Advent. This is what the prophet says. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love, and he will delight you with singing. Zephaniah calls for the daughters of Zion to sing a song of praise loudly, proudly, with all of our hearts. And why? Because life is good and all is going well? Well, no. Zephaniah is writing this prophecy. He is writing this to a people that had so greatly forgotten about who God is 
that, that they were doing a renovation on the temple and they stumbled across the law and they were like, what is this thing? Like a people that were supposed to be marked by the law had so forgotten it that they were renovating the temple and they ran across it and they were like, oh, this looks important. And they started reading it. And the king at the time, Josiah, began to, to, to implement re, re, reforms. He began to repent over what had been uh, lost. He, he instituted all these reforms, tried to turn the people back to God, but it was too late. The die had been cast. And just about two decades after Zephaniah wrote this, Israel would be carried off into exile. Yet Zephaniah calls for songs of joy. How can you call from songs of joy when this is how things are about to go? How can you call for songs of joy whenever all of your world is about to be destroyed and torn apart? How can you call for songs of joy? Why? Because of what God was going to do. And what is that? It tells us in verse 15. Remove their punishment and turn back their enemy. You say, well, hang on just a second. I thought you said they got carried off into exile 20 years later. I did. That is not their primary punishment, and that is not their primary enemy. This is the essence of the gospel. Some have called that verse the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. It so summarizes the gospel for us. This is what Christmas is ultimately about. That even while God seems absent, he is working to, to this end, to call us to rejoice in this. And then in verse 17, it says that the Lord your God is among you. If you've got an ESV, I like the way that it says it there. It says the Lord is in your midst. What a great summary of what happens on Christmas Day. The Lord comes and he is among us. He is in our midst. Friend, don't you hear the incarnation in that prophecy? Our sins forgiven. Punishment removed as the Lord walks among us. What a beautiful truth. And then he turns the prophecy from what we should be doing, rejoicing over the beauty of what God has done. He turns that and, and, he, and, he, and he says, okay, so, so, so do your, your, your rejoicing. And then he says that God rejoices. But what does God rejoice over? Does he rejoice over his power? Does he rejoice over his might? Does God rejoice over his strength, his beauty? Does God rejoice over any of those things? No, it says that he is rejoicing over you. You. Not all of these other things that make him up. He is rejoicing over you. And I wonder if you feel that this morning. Those of you that cannot find that song to sing, that the carols don't quite uh, roll off of your tongue during this season right now, that this Christmas is more of a, a blue Christmas than it is anything else. I wonder if you feel that this morning, that God is rejoicing over you. For those that cannot sing, hear this. God rejoices over you with gladness. And while you may not have a song, he does. Do you see that last line? It says he delights in you with singing. This is God. This is Yahweh. This is the creator of all things. 
The passage we read earlier, the, 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 the reading we read earlier, it said that he created the stars with his breath. That God who said, let there be whatever, and it was. Who spoke creation into existence by simply saying, let there be. He looks at you and he sings a song over you. This God doesn't just feel nice things toward you, which would be miraculous in and of itself. He doesn't just say something brief, but instead he sings over you. He marks the time by singing over you. This is one of those things, if it weren't true, I wouldn't believe it. Do you know what I mean by that? If it weren't true, I wouldn't believe it because I couldn't make it up. I couldn't conceive of this reality. And I know this is true because no other religion says this at all. They all say that you have to go to God, earn your favor, and you never know if you get it. Our, our religion, our faith says he came to you, walks in your midst, secured your victory, and now sings a song over you. He came to you, you didn't go to him, and then he doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make you earn that favor. He gives it to you because he delights in you. It's absurd. It makes no sense. But it is the gospel. Our God came and walked among us in our midst so that we no longer fear harm because our enemies, death and sin, have been defeated. And now he sings over us and delights in us. Why? Because that's who he is. And that is what he does. So this morning, if you have your song Man, you should use it. Sing the songs. Keep the Christmas music going all the time. Keep it going in your house. Keep it going in your car. Keep it going just all the time. Keep the music going. Come to services like this and sing the songs. Come next Sunday and sing with us. If you have the voice and you have the song, sing it. Mark the time of the joy and and, and sing with the joy of a battle that has been won on our behalf because our God lives. And he has won that battle. And he has met us in our waiting. And if you don't have a voice, and you don't have a song, maybe you can just sit and listen. Listen to his song. He sings over you and delights in you. And you just sit and wait until the joy comes. And it tells us joy comes in the morning. Let's pray. Father, this is a truth that is so surreal. It is so so counterintuitive to us. It feels so distant to us because we can almost we almost can't conceive it. But Father, give us the joy, restore to us the joy of our salvation. May we we see Mary's life, her response. May we put away the woe is me. May we put away the, 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 
the, the tendency to look to ourselves and may we simply look to a God who has met us in our waiting and rejoice over that. And for those that do not have a song, for those that cannot find that joy, Father, I pray that you would continue to sing that song over them, delight in them, and give them ears to hear that song. Maybe for the first time, to know that God delights in them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.